Hello and welcome to the Bike Podcast from The Guardian. We've just about dried out after a month of constant soakings in the saddle and are toweled off and ready to present you with a new edition chock-a-block with more goodies than you can fit in your pannier. On today's show we'll be looking at the bike race that includes a pint of beer. Stripped down to my bike shorts which feels a bit weird in the pub. As you can hear the atmosphere is building by the minute. And finding out how to look like you've just stepped out of a salon while keeping safe on the road. But first, how many people can genuinely say that cycling gave them a career break? Well, that's what jobbing cyclist John Snow claims. The Guardian's Matt Wells cycled down to Channel 4 News to find out why the nation's favourite news anchor owes his job to his humble steed. John, we're standing outside the Channel 4 News offices on very busy Grays Inn Road next to your bike. Um, what kind of bike do you ride? I suppose you'd call it a crossbreed. It's a um, Ridgeback. You know, uh, it's not a mountain bike, but it's not a road bike either. This is not your regular bike, though, is it? Well, it is at the moment, because I had my regular bike nicked. A very beautiful bike it was, too, hand-built by Condor with a titanium frame. And, in fact, the insurance company paid up, so I'm getting another one. I mean, you've been riding your bike to work for a long time, haven't you? Well, almost an embarrassingly long time. I suppose I have actually been riding to work for 40 years. Why do you ride your bike to work? I, I think because it's efficient more than anything else. I mean, the, the, the fundamental is that I know exactly how long it's going to take to get there, how long it's going to take to get back. And more importantly, as a reporter, if you're doing stuff in London, I know exactly how long it's going to take me to get anywhere. And almost invariably, it's faster than any other way. They talk about um, cycle tribes. Do you belong to a particular cycling tribe? No, I talk about cycle genre. And I, I think I belong to a, a, probably the, mo- the least discussed cycle genre, which is the um, jobbing cyclist. Well, let's, uh, let's take a walk into your uh, yeah, office and you can tell me, tell me a bit more about the uh, jobbing cyclist. The jobbing cyclist, in the end, is somebody who cycles to live, not to recreate. But I am somebody who simply rides for functional reasons. That beeping for the uninitiated is not being stopped bringing the bicycle in, it's just the security thing to get the humans in. <laughs> Should we pick up a coffee on the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah. Uh, what do you want? I'll have a cappuccino, please. One cappuccino. Um, and I'm going to have a small dark black chocolate, I mean a black uh, coffee. Anyone want a croissant? No, I think I'll... I'll nick uh, that last one. That is one of the problems, you do get hungry on the bike. The other great thing about cycling, of course, is you say you're a jobbing cyclist. One says one is a a jobbing cyclist. The other thing, of course, is that there's a natural spin-off that it keeps you fit. I mean, for a guy of 62, I really do go like a train still. Uh, And the other thing, of course, is environment. I feel very... Superior to your colleagues. (laughs) Well, I feel elevated. Oh, here we are at. Uh, I have a little office myself. I won't take you in there, but that's where I keep my cycling gear. That's really all it's ever used for, it's for me to get in and out and take my cycling kit off. So, what's a typical day for you, John? You you turn up around this time. It's about ten. Nine thirty. I'm usually in, and um, you can hear my editors already on the phone this morning. And uh, we've had our meeting. Then, then you start the slog. And the slog might involve cycling down to Whitehall and uh, going to a briefing or something. How, how often will you use your bike in any you know, particular week? Oh, my goodness, in a day, at least half a dozen times. Now, I've noticed that down in, in the Whitehall, Westminster area, mm. it's very difficult to, to lock up your bike because they won't let you. Do you know why I maintain a Westminster parliamentary pass? Solely to lock my bike up in there. I hardly ever go in there for anything worthwhile. The only place that they are seriously deferential and pleasant about it all is Downing Street. 
If I go down there, I get allowed to take my bike in through the Thatcher Memorial Gates, and you can leave it unlocked, leaning against the wall inside. But it's not a special snow That's privilege. A special snow privilege. Ah, yeah. oh, Mr. Paxman, come on in. <laughs> I get. <laughs> Do you find that cycling helps you think about work and yes, prepare yourself yes, for work? Yes, yes, yes. It's fantastic. And have you ever found that it gives you a journalistic advantage? Oh, 100%, all the time. I wouldn't be where I am without my bike. I mean, the fact is, I, I got spotted on LBC during a period that the IRA was bombing its way across London in 1974-5, and ITN offered me a, a job on the strength of the fact I always seemed to get to the seat of the bomb first. Well, the fact of the matter is that, of course, as soon as a blast went off, like the one at the Old Bailey, the old police tapes would go up, nobody could get in, the traffic would back up, the taxis would be full of hacks trying to get there, you'd be steaming down the outside, and if you took the tapes fast enough, they couldn't stop you going through anyway. And you'd be there, and then they've got too much to do to chuck you out. So you could do broadcasts from, from, from the site. Can I ask you a bit about your uh, campaigning uh, mm. rule? You're president of uh, CTC, mm. which is the National mm. Cycling Campaign. What do you think about the sort of perennial kind of cycling cam- campaign issues? What's your view of, uh, for example, on um, cycle lanes? Well, I, I'm not in tune with CTC on that. Uh, they, they, I think, do not necessarily support separated cycleways. But I do. I think Europe has shown us that separated cycleways in towns, anyway, are, are pretty essential. I'd like to ban all parking on the left-hand side of the road, and every left-hand side of every road should be a two-way cycle lane. But, you know, that won't happen in Ari. Um, we have a, a number of cycling politicians now. Uh, we have a famously cycling mayor in London, yeah. in, in Boris. Yeah. Uh, and Still a minority, to be honest. I, I mean, Boris, in a sense, is represented. Well, he's eccentric anywhere, but he's represented as doubly eccentric for me on a bicycle. Has it made in your experience, a difference as a cyclist in London to have a cycling mayor? No, I don't think it has, actually. I mean, in fact, more as much was done for cycling by Ken Livingstone as has been done by Boris. And Ken, as far as I know, never went on a bicycle. We may well, after May the 9th or whenever it is, have a cycling prime minister. Um, that would be a first. Yeah, I suppose it would. I don't know if Winston Churchill rode a bicycle. If he did, it'd be interesting to see the machine, because I imagine he weighed a bit. Um, Do you think know. it'll make a... Will, will that make a difference to cycling policy? No, I don't think it will. I, I, I think, to be honest, um, the only thing which is going to make a difference is major volume. And the volume is getting better, and a recession is particularly good for cycling. I mean, it's an amazing thing. You know, cycle shops and factories are, are you know, doing more business now than they can do at any time. And a recession is clearly good for cycling. People, people are definitely leaving cars in favour of bikes. John Snow there talking to Matt Wells. After that serious news talk, time for a break, maybe a cup of coffee. But for the time-challenged cyclist who might not have time to stop for a cuppa, there's the new Morning Rush Commuter Mug, an insulated metal mug that you attach to your handlebars within easy reach for those idle moments at traffic lights when you fancy a gulp of tea. Our bike blog editor, James Randerson, has joined me for a leisurely cycle to try out this brand new gadget. So um, we're on the move now. What do you reckon, James? Well, I, I can imagine, you know, you're on your way to work and you fancy a bit of a gulp of tea, and why not? Um, it's here sitting on my handlebars now, so well, maybe I'll give it a try. <laughs> first of all, so you've got to be good <laughs> enough to cycling, only cycling with one hand. That's the first test. He's going for it. Mmm, that's delicious. <laughs> really very nice. Yeah, I, but I mean, I'm quite glad we're on a quiet street. <laughs> I wouldn't like to do this uh, in heavy traffic, I have to say. 
Um, he's mm. wobbling all over the place, it has to be said. I think you need mm. to practice your one-arm cycling technique there, James. It all reminds me of camping, it's very nice. And I mean, how easy is it to attach to your bike and how does it fasten on? Well, I'm not, it's kind of one of those brackets that uh, you get with a, with a bike light. Uh, and I'm not quite sure whether it was me being an idiot or the design not being very sturdy, but um, it wasn't very easy to put on, I didn't find. Um, but, but now that it's on, it seems, well, with the help of a bit of tape, it seems to be working fine. And do you think there's a market out there? Are there many people who simply can't wait until they actually get to work or wherever they're going? I must confess, it's, it's not something I'd ever considered before. So it's difficult to say whether there's a market. I, I suppose there must be. I, I think I'd consider it. Why not? Well, thanks for that, James. I'll leave you to enjoy your cup of tea in peace. Well, if you thought a cup of coffee was taking cycling easy, how about a beer? That's an option if you're into Rollapalooza. It's cycling, but not as you know it. For a start, your bike doesn't move an inch, and it takes place in a pub. Peter Walker went to try out the fast-growing sport of indoor roller racing. Simon Schmidt, Richard Gormley, James Sonny, Big Strings and Phil Glowinski. Standing in that rather noisy back room of a pub in Hernhill, South uh, London, um, and rather counterintuitively, because I'm in a pub, I'm going to be taking part in a cycling uh, event. Not only is it quite unusual for me to take part in cycling events uh, indoors, but particularly not when there's one um, surrounded by about 150 people who are clutching pints of beer and uh, cheering. Um, there's a couple of people on the stage who are about to take part. Uh, this is the strange and mysterious world of indoor roller racing. My name's Winston and I'm a partner in Rollerpalooza and we're here tonight for the third round of our Winter Roller Race League in London. We like to think of it as a spectator sport as well as a, a sport for competitors and what we have is two static bikes uh, where people sprint over 500 metres uh, and it's a huge dial with two hands on it which displays the progress of each rider. Uh, and so the, for the audience it's very sort of engaging and very immediate because they're very close to the races. In fact, I think it's unique in cycling that you can be as close to a competitor for so long throughout the whole race and beer, drinking beer and having the music is all part of the atmosphere. Now slightly uh, foolishly, I've been persuaded to put my name down for this too. They're going to call my name out. I have to get up on this stage in front of the uh, baying crowd and try and uphold the uh, honour of the uh, Guardian Bike uh, podcast. And having seen the speed that most people uh, cycle at, my confidence is not particularly good. Uh, maybe a pint of beer will uh, do the trick. Uh, I'm with someone else who's about to try it out for the first time. Do you uh, fancy your chances? It's such a hard question to answer, to be fair, because the people up there that have been, some will look like they're not actually going to be that good and they're actually rapid, and others look like they would be good and they're not, so oh, exactly. it's, hard, it's a really hard answer to, question to answer, but hopefully I'll be pretty good at it. We just uh, won in a very creditable time of uh, 23.59 seconds. What was it like? Yeah, thanks. I found to start with, it was quite, quite easy to get going, build up the speed, keep that speed for about 300 meters and after the last 200 meters, it was just so painful and I could feel my legs just start to go towards the end. But I managed to keep going, well I don't, I don't think it's going to be quick enough unfortunately to get through. And the interesting thing is that you can't tell who's going to win. Some people are wearing like proper bike gear, some people are just in their jeans, but you can never guess can you? Yeah, I mean the guy on the left hand side, the red bike, 
He's wearing jeans. The other guy looks like he does it often on a regular basis because he's got the actual proper gear on. Yeah, the proper like And he's obviously got beaten. Oh well, you just can't tell. Anyway, well done. Yeah, thank you very much. Just down to my bike shorts, which feels a bit weird in the pub. As you can hear, the atmosphere is building by the minute. Um, such is the pressure, I've cracked and bought myself a pint of beer, which I'm foolishly hoping perhaps will help me uh, relax on the bike. Um, anyway, I'm about to make my way through the throng towards the stage and um, <laughs> I'll let you know how it all goes. Uh, well, it's about, um, about a minute or two uh, after my race, which I'm afraid I uh, lost. Uh, I did it in about 25 and a half seconds, which I thought was reasonably good. But my competitor, who, uh, unlike me, wasn't wearing any cycling clothes whatsoever, was wearing kind of jeans and t-shirt. My, co my um, competitor, Joss, on the uh, other bike, did in about 23.6 seconds. He beat me by almost two whole seconds, which is a pretty big margin. Uh, and I thought I was cycling really fast. Uh, and even in 25 seconds, I worked on quite a sweat. Um, I think it's something that takes a lot of practice. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying that, or I'm just not particularly good at it. But anyway, I didn't completely uphold the honour of the uh, bike podcast, but nearly. Cheers, Peter. You might not have won, but you didn't blacken the name of the Guardian's bike podcast with that very respectable performance. Chapeau, as they say on the Tour de France. We move now away from the pub and out to the darkened streets to hear from Matt Seaton, who many of you might already know from The Escape Artist, his moving book about balancing family life with an obsession about bikes. He was, of course, also the author of Two Wheels, G2's cycling column of old. In the first entry in his Cyclist Almanac, Matt reflects on the revolution in bike lighting in this ode to the humble LED. Now, it may still be chilly in the mornings, but at least it's no longer pitch black. And in just a few weeks, those of us who cycle to and from work can think about getting rid of those red and white flashing lights altogether. But it's funny to think how much the humble bicycle light has changed in the past few years. Just 20 years ago, we were struggling with clunky ever-ready lamps. Those great big things with terrible batteries, fragile bulbs, and even more temperamental connections. Nowadays, lights are bright, energy-efficient and incredibly robust for their size. And the key to this transformation is the LED, or light-emitting diode. The physics of the LED date back to the early 1900s, when a researcher in Marconi Labs discovered electroluminescence. Using a device called a cat's whisker, the scientist found that when he passed an electrical current through a metal contact with a crystalline chemical compound, he got a brilliant bright glow. However, it was not until 1962 that Nick Holonyak Jr., a semiconductor scientist working at the General Electric Company, created the first visible light LED. Not short of confidence, the following year, Holonyak boldly predicted that LEDs would soon replace the incandescent light bulbs of Thomas Edison. In the 50 years since he came up with the LED, Holonyak has gone on to create the world's first dimmer switch, and the laser diode, a key component of CD and DVD players. Now, you've probably heard of Moore's Law, which predicts that computer power doubles every two years. Well, the LED equivalent is called Heitz's Law, after a Dr. Roland Heitz. Now, he believed that for every decade since the 1960s, the cost per lumen of light has reduced by a factor of 10, while light output has gone up by 20 times. So, if the future is bright, it's all thanks to the LED. 
finally, according to a survey commissioned by Cycling England in 2008, one in four women are too worried about helmets ruining their hair to risk a ride in the saddle. Of course, there's an easy way to avoid helmet hair. Don't wear a helmet. But if you want to protect your skull while cycling, but don't want to arrive at your destination looking like Phil Spector's mugshot, how do you do it? I pedalled down to Tony and Guy on Regent Street in London for a consultation. Hi there, um, my name's Helen, I've got an appointment with Hyde. Just take your jacket for you. Thanks very much. Shall I my scarf as well? Thanks. Oh, hi, hi, hello, hi, 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 nice to meet you. Do you want to come downstairs? Yeah, wherever. So, Hida, you can probably see what the problem is. I've just got off my bike. I've cycled here for 40 minutes. Yeah. I've got a slightly sweaty scalp. But the main problem I've got, I've got very quite long, unruly hair. Yeah. And I've now got this rather unsightly line that goes yeah. from my ears all the way around, as if I've got the sort of two haircuts in one. One thing is uh, when you put your helmet normally with the like, natural part of the hair falling, you get the lines. So probably you can do with, like, push it back a little bit, try that way. Well, before I put my helmet on, yeah, you mean? so completely back. I've got a side parting at the yeah. moment, you see. So you can push it like across. So what he's doing now is he's, he's pulling my hair away from my face, almost as if I've got it in like a half ponytail. Another way to uh, have like a conditioning uh, spray. So for us, uh, Tony and Guy, we have a label M protein spray, which is like a conditioning water. And do I put that on before I put my helmet on, or is this when I've just After, got off my bike? Just got off the bike. Just got off my bike, just about just, to go upstairs to the yeah. office. What, and you just spray it on it and yeah, give it a just, bit of a... This is like a light conditioning spray, so where you feel there's most dent, you just put it on. I've always wanted to be one of those people, you know, you see in Hollywood films, these glamorous women, and they take off their helmet, they yeah. sort of throw their head back, and their hair just looks sort of glamorously <laughs> ruffled. I'll tell you the other problem I have, so I have this line as discussed, and also especially in the summer, my, it, even if I've just washed my hair, it looks a little bit greasy when I arrive, mm -hmm. because obviously I've sweated a little yeah. bit. Are there any products you can get to yes. just stop, stop it looking yeah. greasy There's, at the roots? There's uh, two products we have, which one's called the dry shampoo, which uh, is perfect on your hair. You've got a lot of hair, but fine, blonde mm. uh, texture, so easily get that grease especially I can imagine in the summer mm. so this product stick to the grease and make it looking less greasy. So what do so you just sort of spray it on the yeah, roots? This is probably the best your for your hair in the summer. Yeah, so Go on then, give us a bit, it. let's yeah. see if we can, it looks, it's not too bad today because it's, it's so cold but yeah. you can still see that I've been so doing a little bit of exercise. Like, do like where it's probably most. So so spraying that, it on my roots. Yeah, spray on your roots, this is what we use for like a lot of uh, uh, Fashion shows, oh, right. where especially the fashion week, some models has been uh, gone to a couple of shows already, so they might have uh, a lot of shine in their hair yeah. already from the previous shows. Oh, fantastic, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this month's bike podcast. This month's edition was produced by Francesca Panetta and Peter Sale. We'll be back next month with more cycle treats. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.